Ephesians chapter 6, I'll read the chapter, make a prayer, then you shall consider verse 4. Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you, as you will Christ, not by the way of eye service as people please us, but as born servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a born servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the bracelet of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of grace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tichikas, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love corruptible. Let us pray. Lord, as we seek to rightly handle your word this morning, 
pray that you may help me to be faithful. Pray that you may help me to expound for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. Help us to be, help, grant us concentration and attentiveness. Keep us away from distraction and help that uh, we may attentively take heed and listen what your word says this morning. We pray that by your spirit, Lord, you may teach us your truth and guide us uh, into all the truth. We pray that uh, you may as well forgive us for we know that um, our sins may blind us from seeing your truth. We pray that you may cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. This morning we shall be considering verse 4 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. And let me remind you that this last, this large section goes back to chapter 5 verse 18. It's all tied up with the theme of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 5 verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it goes on from verse 18 to chapter 6, verse 9, telling us the manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be dominated, controlled, and influenced by the Holy Spirit through the Word. We saw that being filled with the Holy Spirit produces certain results. And one of the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit is one of submission. Spirit-filled submission obviously affects relationships. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, parents to children, masters to bond servants, bond servants to their masters. The wife is called to submit willingly, voluntarily, exclusively to their husband as unto Christ. Husbands are called to love their wives sacrificially, in a sanctifying way, in a preserving way, in a beautifying way. To love their wives as their own bodies, to love their wives with a responsible love. Last week, Pastor Kaure took us through the duties on the side of children to their parents. And today we shall consider the duties on the side of the parents to their children. We saw that the command is given to the children. What is the command? Verse, six, uh, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. The command is, Children, obey your parents. And how are they to fulfill this command? They are to fulfill it by honoring their father and mother. And what, is, what, was, the, what was the promise that we were reminded attached to this obedience? The promise is one of quality and quantity. It says, that it may go well with you. The quality of your life will be good. And the quantity of your life, he says, and that you may live long in the land. <clears throat> so that spirit-filled children obey their parents. Today, we shall see the command to spirit-filled parents to raise their children in a certain way. Notice from verse 22, 
that first the apostle addresses those in subject. He addresses first the wives, he addresses first the children, he addresses first the bond servants. And then he addresses those in authority. And that is what we are seeing here. The children have first been addressed, those in subject have first been addressed in verse 1 to 3. And then he goes on to address those in authority. I should say also that the Holy Spirit who fills these various categories of people in this section delights to glorify Christ. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John chapter 16 verse 14. The Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ and the goal of the Holy Spirit is to sanctify husbands and wives and children so that Christ is preeminent in this relationship. The work of the Holy Spirit is to magnify Christ in the home. The work of the Holy Spirit is to fill the parents so that they can properly raise their children and bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Today we get to this section of spirit-filled parents. And the question that may confront us is, why is this instruction important? Why in the world do we need this instruction on how to raise our children? We need this instruction because we want God-centered homes. We want homes that glorify the Lord. Homes that magnify the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want God to be at the center of our homes. The parents should say, I want Christ magnified in my home. A serious question we have to ask ourselves is, what kind of home are you going to have? Are you going to have a child-centered home? Are you going to have a parent-centered home? Or are you going to have a Christ-centered home? Parents must say without reservation, I want a God-centered home, regardless of the cost. We all need this instruction because we want to glorify God in our parenting. And there's a biblical theology on parenting. There's a biblical theology on raising up our kids. So that we raise them in a way that is consistent with the instructions of God. That's the only way that God is glorified in our parenting. We cannot glorify God in our parenting if we seek to parent by default. Because God will not be at the center of our homes. Secondly, we want to see God glorified in the lives of our children. And that's the main purpose, really. We want to see God glorified in the lives of our children. Our fundamental desire is to see our children become faithful followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Parents should be able to give their homes, sorry, should be able to give up their homes, give up their cars, give up their work to secure heaven for their children. We want to see God glorified in the lives of our children. Obviously, we cannot secure the outcome of their faith. We cannot make our kid become a Christian. Your child cannot become a Christian because your blood runs in their vein. 
but what we are doing is that we are using God's appointed means and trust God for the outcome. We are trusting upon the Lord in the means that he has appointed in raising up the children and you're trusting him to bring the outcome. So that as much as we may want our kids to prosper, to have lots of money, to have power and influence in this world, it will be better for your kids to grow up in a menial job, get minimum wage, but know the Lord Jesus Christ. Rather than to have a high-paying job, to work for big corporations, to have a car, to have a house, to have all the wealth in this world, but they are lost. They are lost just like the day they were born. If you want to glorify God in our parenting, it's only when the Spirit of God and the Word of God governs the home. And so we can conclude here that to raise our children in a godly way has a very distinct flavor. And it's not how the world raise their children. So we'll have two points. <clears throat> Negatively, we can see from verse, the beginning of verse 4 that spirit-filled parents are commanded not to provoke their children to anger, not to embitter their children, not to cause them to be discouraged. And then positively, they are brought, they're encouraged to bring up the children, to bring up their children in the discipline of the Lord. So we'll have the first point. Parents are not to provoke their children to anger. Parents are not to provoke their children to anger. You may be wondering, I don't see parents in verse 4. It only addresses fathers. But you should be able to see that it is the father who represents both the father and the mother. The father here stands as the representative of both parents so that the duties of the mother are assumed under the duties of the father. The father is specifically identified because the primary responsibility of raising children rests on him. So in a sense, his duties represent her duties. You have in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 1.8 says, Listen to the instruction of your father and do not forsake the teaching of who? Your mother. So that as the father is giving instruction to the children, the idea is the mother is also giving the teachings to the, to the children. Therefore, in this passage, both parents are kept in mind, but the emphasis falls on the father. Because the father is the head. He's the ultimate bearer of the responsibilities in the home. So that he's the one directly addressed. And this instruction goes something like this. Mothers, you need to listen. Fathers, you need to really listen. Bengal says, fathers are more liable to be carried away by wrath. That's why the, 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 the emphasis is on them. And so the fathers, the, the parents are, are commanded, do not provoke. Do not provoke your children to anger. The word here means 
to make angry, to frustrate, to antagonize, to be unfair, to be oppressive, to incite your children to anger. The idea, the same word is used in chapter 4 verse 26 of Ephesians, says be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. The first anger is not the same as the second anger, isn't it? The first anger is a godly anger. Um, but the second anger is one of provocation. And the fathers are, are, are commanded here not to be the source of provocation. Isn't it interesting that it doesn't say fathers dictate, fathers govern, fathers make sure that your kids are in line? That's by saying, fathers, do not make your kids angry. Do not embitter your children. Do not treat them in such a way that they are discouraged. Is it any wonder that we have a generation today, a generation of children who are very angry, who are full of resentment, who are discouraged, who are depressed? Is it any wonder that we have marks of, a, of angry children, people who have outbursts of anger, people who throw tantrums, people who are always arguing, people who are always quarrelsome, people who are always debating on who should show this, so people who are always debating and in a disrespectful way, people who are always fighting, people who are always prone to violence, animosity towards people. Children who are characterized by strife and cruelty. Children who feel that they always need to get even. Children filled with malice, bitterness, discouragement. If you're listening, you can see all this around us, isn't it? And the first place to look at is not in the TV as the source of all these problems. It's not in the movies. It's not in the video games. The first place to look at is in the home, is in the parenting. The first place, if you want to understand why things are way the way they are in the first place, is to look at the parents. And often, it's the sins of the parents that are the root cause for the anger in the children. However, it should be said also that it's not all rebellion is because of the sins of the parents. Children are rebellious by nature. You cannot look at a child and conclude that it's because of bad parents. God says in Isaiah 1-2 to the nation of Israel, Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. God has reared this, those children. God has raised up the children of Israel. But he says, they have rebelled against me. Who can indict God as a father and say, he is an insufficient father or he's a bad father. No one. You have the example of the parable of the prodigal son. You should see that it's not an absolute category that children who are rebellious are caused by bad parenting. But when you see certain things manifesting in the life of a child, of a child 
as early as possible, things such as anger, bitterness, it may be because of the sins of the parent or it may be because the child is sinful by nature. Parents must ask themselves in light of God's word, what am I doing to provoke my child to anger? What am I doing to embitter them so that they lose heart, so that they, they become discouraged? As parents, we must search our hearts. What am I doing to discourage them? And I have a number of, a list here of things that bring anger to children. The first one is, is lack of marital harmony. Lack of marital harmony. When the child observes resentment between the father and the mother, when the child notices that there is no unity in the home, he becomes susceptible to acquiring those bitter thoughts. So that the home should be Christ-centered. If the father, if the mother are not close to one another, often the child may think that he is equal with his parents. That the home is run in a democratic way. So that when he desires something and he doesn't get it, he's angry because he thinks that he's on equal standard with his parents. So there should be harmony in the home because that's one of the causes. If there's no harmony, the child will model sinful anger after their parents. Secondly, second cause of provocation is to habitually discipline your child while angry. If you're angry, you have a tendency to over-discipline. And the child can see that anger. And the child sees that anger not as an act of godly discipline, but personal attack. The child sees that as, as an attack upon them. Thirdly, we have the verbal or physical abuse. We have the verbal and physical abuse. And sadly, this is still common even in, in Christian homes. When parents use their tongue to belittle their children, for instance. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When the father decides to scold their children, to belittle them, use words that are critical, to use words that are designed to hurt them, you provoke them to anger. Luther, Luther says his father was so strict, Martin Luther, to the point of cruelty. He says that even after becoming a Christian, praying using the words our father was very scary to him because he used to fear his father. Luther says, spare the rod and spoil the child. That is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he has done well. Another way we can provoke our children is to be inconsistent with discipline. 
children do not want to grow up confused they want a standard a standard in which the discipline is consistent when the discipline is inconsistent it sends mixed messages and can provoke them provoke them to anger there's also the danger of double standards the parent can use the word of god to reprove to correct to discipline yet the parent will not follow what the word of god says is not willing to set the same standard for himself and for his children when the father is inconsistent when the mother is inconsistent is unpredictable it depends on the moods one day he brings a present for the child another day he arbitrarily lashes out to punish them another way is being legalistic that the home is filled with man-made rules man-made rules elevated to the point that they are above the 10 commandments rules that are overly scrupulous elevated to the place of thou shall not another way is not admitting that you are wrong even when as a parent you are wrong you don't ask for forgiveness you never apologize you never admit that you're wrong you do realize that if this is what characterizes you there's even greater doubt if you know the lord jesus christ isn't it can you really say that christ has forgiven you that you forgive others just as christ has forgiven you and that way is constantly finding fault you don't see any good in your child you, do, you you never give them any words of praise you're constantly finding fault another way is not listening to your child interrupting them as they speak not understanding their situation you pass judgment before understanding what they are saying another way is favoritism you have one child who gets away with everything he's your favorite is hardly punished but another child is punished for minor things another way is not making time to talk not making time for them you complain you're always busy that you don't have time the child grows up thinking time is more important to my parent than me your children need time because they are human beings they have real mind real thoughts real emotions real feelings they are not simply children they are human beings they are souls they have souls souls made in the image and likeness of god parents can provoke their children to anger by not being available and children can interpret absent parents as those who reject them as those who do not love them parents can provoke them to anger by criticizing them without praising when you're too negative too critical no matter how well the child does no matter how well the child cleans the house you'll always find fault you'll hardly praise them for the good that they do 
another way is failing to keep your promises and i tell you one broken promise will stay in their thought longer than a thousand kept promises you tell your child you're going to do something and you fail to do it sometimes of course it's unavoidable isn't it it can be the demands of your job it can be other emergencies but that should not happen every time if does if 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 that does happen children grow up resentful and they they not trust their parents another way is disciplining your child in front of others when the child is growing up they are embarrassed they become resentful another way is not allowing enough freedom being overprotective having insecurities using unbiblical standards not allowing enough freedom and it can be a sign of selfishness isn't it you do not want the child to have their own unique personality their own giftedness their own their own passions and preferences you want to limit their freedom another another way is allowing too much freedom you see when you allow too much freedom to your child what you're telling them is that you do not love them those children grow up thinking my parent doesn't care doesn't care whether i come home late you see allowing too much freedom another way is under discipline the child is hardly punished or when they are punished it's not painful they don't understand the consequence of their sin and they grow up lacking discipline another way is mocking and ridiculing your child abusing them physically name calling them another way is setting unrealistic expectations that's why brethren we need to listen to the word of god we need to raise up our children according to god's word because one or the other we will stand before god and we'll give an account isn't it we'll give an account for everything that is entrusted us with and then secondly positively the parents are called to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the lord the first instruction was negative do not provoke then the contrast is here but bring them up and the idea here is to treat them with fairness with firmness with gentleness bring them up as carries the idea of to nourish them to educate them to develop them to nurture them to train them it carries the idea of providing spiritual food for your children bring them up in the discipline the discipline carries the idea of training 
that you're training them in righteousness. This is the responsibility of the parents to raise up their children, to bring them up. And God has so much to establish the home as the sphere in which all this is happening. So that there is authority and submission. The parent should be in charge, is the authority. And the child should know that they are in submission to their parent. The child should be taught on how to deal with life's trials. The child should be taught on how to handle their emotions, how to relate with others in a loving way, how to work through disagreements, how to work through conflicts, how to use their time, how to work hard, how to be good stewards of money and possessions. The child should be trained in every necessary skill they need so that they mature as adults. The idea of training as well refers to correction and chastisement for wrongdoing. The idea here is children are parents are instructed to discipline their children, to correct them, to admonish them. And this refers to verbal correction. You may correct your child verbally. You may warn them. You may strongly encourage them to change their behavior, their attitude, their sinful behaviors. It, it, it involves appealing to their will and urging them to take responsibility for their actions. The parent must do this with humility because the parent is also a sinner. Is as sinful as that child. The parent must do so and instruct on what he is also doing, not being hypocritical. Hebrews 12.5 talks of corrective discipline, says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when he reproved, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And the reason why we discipline our children, Proverbs tells us, is because folly is bound up in their heart. Folly is bound up in their heart, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. This folly is not childish weakness. It's not as if when the child is on the table and they do not know how to feed themselves and they knock a cup of, a cup of milk and uh, a cup of milk off the table. That's not, that's not what we are talking about here. The rod of correction removes foolishness from his heart. And the idea here is you educate your child, you train your child and use discipline, use correction to bring desired results. And so you're providing verbal, verbal instruction, you're using correct, to correct their behavior and you're instructing them 
in the Lord. And the passion and the heart of the parents in raising their child in this way is so that this child may know God, may obey Him. We are not simply raising children so that they can be morally upright people. No. What you're doing is that you're helping them by the grace of God that they may know God. They may bow to Christ. Because we simply do not want well-behaved children, isn't it? We can raise up well-behaved children, but their hearts are not changed. The ultimate passion for these children is that they may know the Lord. Applications. Number one, parents raise up your children in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. This is a sacred commission. Do you realize as a parent that you're dealing with immortal souls? Immortal souls have been put under your care. God has given you a human being who will live forever. And so this is a holy, sacred commission to be a parent so that you're not to become a passive parent. You're not to abdicate your responsibilities as a parent. And we need to forsake the wisdom of the world. We need to forsake the ideas and the traditions that uh, we think are necessary. Number two, parents should seriously consider the education of their children. And that education begins with the Lord because God is the ultimate teacher. He is the ultimate subject. So that the word of God becomes fundamental to your children's education. You're you're training your child to think and act biblically. You're laboring to impart biblical wisdom to them. Number three, this text compels us to take seriously the discipline of our children. And four reasons why corrective discipline is very important. Number one, it's because the Bible commands us. The Bible commands us to discipline our children. Proverbs 19 verse 18, discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. A proverb is saying, discipline your child when there is opportunity. When there is time that God has given you. When there is hope. Because there is coming a day when that type of corrective discipline is not applicable. It's not appropriate. Proverbs 23 verse 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Again, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. The child may wail, may scream. The child um, may sound like he's going to die. May even say that I'm going to die. But he's not going to die. You see, the nature of our children as well, secondly, requires discipline. Children come into this world as sons of Adam, sons of disobedience. 
And they, they have the indwelling sin. They have sin dwelling in them. They are born into this world speaking lies from the womb. And Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reprove give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A child who gets his own way does what brings shame to their parents. Another one, the child, the parent is in charge, is the authority figure at home. So that genuine parental love requires discipline. Genuine parental love requires discipline. Proverbs 13 verse 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You cannot say, I love my child so much, they're so cute, they're so adorable. I cannot spank them. You cannot say that. That's the case of hating them, isn't it? The Bible says if you love them, you'll discipline them. You'll not excuse their indiscipline. For the parent to think that discipline brings more pain is to fail to think right. To avoid the road of discipline is to hate your child. Because the Bible says, that rod is good for them. That rod drives foolishness out of their heart. That rod, Proverbs says, saves them from shoal, saves them from the grave. And so we are called as parents to discipline our children. Don't ever think that because I discipline them, because I spank them, they'll ultimately end up good. It's not a promise. What you're saying that what you're saying is this is only a means that God has appointed. You apply the means and trust God that He may be merciful to save them. The idea of the rod as well, let me say this, is you understand the rod, a rod, isn't it? It should sufficiently be felt. It's not discipline if it's not firm enough. Because you can have a child scream, but you haven't touched them, isn't it? So the parent as well should affirm their love, should reconcile afterwards, should hug them should show them affection if that's not if that's not happening it's easy to sow seeds of rebellion and stubbornness in the child <laughs> lastly discipline evangelistically discipline in a redemptive way discipline and use every opportunity to show them their inability to obey the law of God to show them that they are in bondage to sin to show them that the only way they can be liberated from the power of sin is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ show them that the only way they can be liberated from the guilt of sin from the condemnation of sin from the power of sin is through the Lord Jesus Christ show them the gospel show them their sin show them that they must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Exhaust every opportunity 
to proclaim the gospel to them. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you may help us. As parents, we have indeed a high calling, a noble commission, that you've entrusted us souls that are eternal in our homes. And you instruct us indeed that we ought not to provoke them to anger, that we ought to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Pray, Lord, that you may help us. Teach us, Lord, your ways. Grant that the word of God may be preeminent in our homes. The children will be taught to memorize scripture, will be taught to read the word of God. The children will be taught to sing and praise your name as early as possible. Lord, we give you praise and we worship you. For this we pray in Jesus' name.